I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Indie Football Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Brown, and joining me in the studio this week, we have columnist Tony Evans and football writer Jack Rathborn. Later in the show, we're actually going to be looking at the restructuring happening at the so-called European Super Clubs. But we're recording this podcast at half 12 on the day after Tottenham Hotspur lost 7-2 to Bayern Munich. And it feels like we should probably start there. So I'm going to ask both you guys about it. But first, we have the thoughts of Miguel Delaney, uh, recorded as he waits for his flight to France for Lille versus Chelsea. Uh, Miguel was at the Spurs game last night and he has some predictably spicy opinions. Well, in the immediate aftermath of the match, uh, Pochettino went into the Spurs rest, dressing room and realised that at that point he probably shouldn't say anything because the players felt bad enough, the humour was down enough, they they knew how bad it was. Um, but one of the things that's been kind of put out there since, it's been said a lot since, and not just by Pochettino, also by Kovac, was that this was a bit of a, a freak game because everything Bayern hit went in. I think that's Certainly true, uh, especially from the last 10 minutes. Uh, but I think there's a bit more to it than, than that. You can't just completely write it off as a freak because what really struck about that last 10 and particularly the second half in general was Bayern, everything was going in for Bayern basically because they were willing to try absolutely anything. It was, um, it, there was such a market shift in the game, such a market mental shift. It was as if Bayern just realised that I mean, these are done here. They're so open, they're making so many mistakes, there's so much space, and they went for it. And, and Bayern had that kind of confidence that comes from when a game opens up and it's almost that easy for you. And so I think that's almost a bigger issue for Spurs than the actual final score, humiliating as it was, and the first time they've conceded seven goals at home in any competition, and the worst mathematically of Poch's reign. But it's that they just started to, they didn't just stop pressing, they stopped doing all every, everything they usually do, and they looked so easy to get at. Uh, I think that's the biggest concern from this. Okay, so that's what Miguel thought of the match. Tony, what did you make of it? Well, <laughs> uh, good first half, not so good second half. Um, now I thought, I, I, I think the um, you know it looked competitive early on, and you know Tottenham probably could have been uh, further ahead. But the reality is, when the backside falls out of a team like that. In the closing stages, it, there's some real underlying problems, and in the you know in the last 15 20 minutes, there was just a, a, a lack of fight about Tottenham, a uh, an acceptance that it had all gone wrong, that suggests that uh, and we've talked about these many times that there are serious underlying issues, but I think it, it says here that these now need to be need to be approached and sorted. Pochettino is usually quite quick out of the dressing room after matches to do his post-match presses and things like that. took ages last night. Everybody started getting very excited that there was something kind of going on. Um, Miguel actually wrote in his piece that Pochettino, he didn't really go in for the hair-dryer treatment. Like his players knew how badly they'd kind of done. Jack, do you think last night was a good opportunity for him to walk away from the club? I think it's just unlikely in 
at this point in the game. I think uh, resignations are a thing, a thing of yesterday and Pochettino is certainly not going to forfeit such a lofty salary and uh, wage packet. I think that's the idea now, isn't it, with managers? They, they overstay their welcome more so than uh, salvage a little bit of dignity and uh, walk away. I think it was clear that in his thinking, the dream scenario was to walk into the sunset landing the Champions League with Spurs last May and it hasn't happened and I think it all it's all fallen apart really since then. I think he's lost a lot of um, authority in the dressing room. I think um, players now look at him and think, well, you're denying me my big move away. Well, you wanted your own big move away under the right circumstances and I think uh, that's sort of contrasting um, the message he's trying to send. And I think in terms of walking away last night... I mean, it, I, I still think he can salvage it. I mean, there's the job at hand for for Spurs to be a success is still very salvageable. I think certainly in the, in the league, there's not there's not a great gap, is there, to to finishing inside the top four, which would be a moderate success even by last season standards. So, I think there there is a way to salvage this, but certainly the manner of the defeat last night is going to take considerable work, sort of um, building up these players' confidence again and. Uh, yeah, certainly this could be, we'll see in a few months' time, this could be the end of, of his sort of uh, sort of supreme sort of confidence and um, authority at Spurs. We've spoke before on the pod about how Poch said about if he won the Champions League, he would leave and how that would be a kind of, you know, fantastic window for him to yeah win and then ride off into the sunset. Are we getting close to the point now where Pochettino can't really leave at this point because... You know, suddenly his his reputation is under question, and and Spurs are playing very poorly. It reminds me a little bit of uh, Villas Boas. Obviously, did a lot of good work at Spurs, but people only remember the Liverpool game. You know, are we getting close to that point with Pochettino? It felt like that last night. Um, I think it it really does, and and you, some of the same problems that yeah, that Villas Boas had are you know evident at Tottenham now. Um, the fact that the players aren't having them anymore and it's interesting Luke you mentioned the hairdryer treatments you know he's that one of the flaws and we've talked about again we've talked about this before one of the flaws in Pochettino is not the fact that he screams at people like Ferguson does he ignores them he blanks them and what that does that's uh, you know if you don't tell people what they're doing wrong if you don't tell people if you don't show them a route to get back into the first team and back into favour then it festers and, you know, you talk to a lot of ex-pros about that. And, you know, especially when they talk about mental health and um, being ignored is one of the things that gets them. They start hating going to work. And you think, like, the footballers, they should be loving going to work. But, you know, like in any business, when you're ignored, it bothers you. And, and if you're outside his chosen group of players, and there are plenty outside these days, then... You know, there's very little communication between the manager and, you know, and individuals. And I think that's, I mean, going back to when he came to, um, when he came to Southampton, you know, Nicola Cortese brought him over. And Cortese will, you know, say that one of the, one of the things that he thought he needed to develop was his communication skills with the players when they were out of favour and going wrong because he thought that was one of the weakest parts of his management style. And in times of crisis, that is magnified by 100. Playing devil's advocate, you know, obviously there's a lot of people who, who think that Spurs should get rid of Pochettino, including a lot of Spurs fans now. 
why would Tottenham get rid of Pochettino at this point? What what would it do? I mean, the problems Spurs have got are, are not going to be solved by kind of getting rid of Pochettino and suddenly getting players like Vertonghen and, and Eriksen to start performing. So what what benefit would that would there be, Jack, to, to booting him now? I, th- I don't think there would be a great benefit for Spurs, um, particularly because most of these players are very close to the end of their time at Spurs. Whether Spurs want to say in that or not, they can walk away for free, some of them, next summer. So it's 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 one of those where just by default, the fact they they have Pochettino locked down, he's always worked better with younger players who sort of have that that enthusiasm. The um, they're sort of just happy to be there, and I think there are the, the signs that certain players like Cessignon, I mean Lacelso, a little bit. I mean he's obviously been at a higher level, but they they started to sort of um, rebuild that squad, and I think maybe this is going to be a season where they have to write it off at some point. But I don't think Spurs are a team like Chelsea in the past who are happy to sort of um, scrap the, the medium-term plan in, in just in order to salvage a season. I think Spurs are, are not going to be cut adrift and I think that will sort of allow Pochettino a little bit more patience from above. And I think, yeah, it, it would really have to spiral completely out of control for for them to make a move like this. When you look at the um, the potential replacements, uh, Brendan Rodgers is favourite. Uh, somebody we spoke about last week. Max Allegri's up there. Jose Mourinho, all the kind of usual uh, characters. Tony, is Tottenham a especially attractive job to those kind of managers? You know, a club which had traditionally struggled and underperformed, and has been in the Champions League final. Presumably, won't be getting in a Champions League final again anytime soon. Is this a club where you know somebody would want to come in and, and follow a man like Poch? Um, well, I think it, it's been open goal to come in, but I think the things that would militate against us is never mind underperforming, underpaying. You know, can you see Daniel Levy paying the sort of money that a, a Mourinho would want? Whether there's what Mourinho is another issue, but I mean, Brendan Rodgers would probably see it as a, a step up, yeah. So he'd want to take it, and I can imagine that his um, his way of working, where um, you know, feely touchy, cuddly, would really work. You know, well with that squad after Pochettino, if he did go there, whether it be a long term, um, whether a long term sort of success is another question. Uh, the one thing that's clear is there's a lot of good players there. They should be performing a lot better. And if they are going through a rebuild and they do need to um, replace players like Ericsson, you know, and, and uh, Vertonghen next year, then what they're going to have to do is get back in the Champions League. They're going to have to be more successful and they're going to have to be in a position of strength. We've seen from teams like United in particular and even Arsenal to, to a lesser extent what being outside, outside the Champions League does to your recruitment. And the, sometimes your reputation of, as a manager, if Pochettino stays... Um, you know, there'll be talk around the dressing rooms of the way he's handled the players and the way the club have handled the, the contracts. So Tottenham mightn't quite be the most attractive place to go. I think that there are massive issues there for Levy to sort out and untangle. And I, I think it, it's it's sort of it's perhaps too simplistic to say, oh, you know, keep Pochettino and rebuild the team because Tottenham are not going to be in the position to spend a lot of money either in the in the winter window or next summer. And I, th- I think they've got to make a decision on the direction going forward and commit themselves to it. 
And it's almost a no-win situation at this stage. I mean, there's big, big long-term questions. But in terms of the short-term, Rafa, it's going to be all right, isn't it? I mean, they're still going to qualify from that Champions League group you'd expect. They've got players coming back. They've got Sessegnon to break into the team. Lo Celso, who presumably will take the place of Ericsson. Harry Kane's in good form. You know, do you think they'll be able to kind of, yeah, claw their way back into contention? I think in the immediate short term, they will be all right in terms of the Champions League group because once again, like last season, they have a stroke of luck by um, their final game of the group stage is technically the hardest away at Bayern Munich, but Bayern should have secured top spot as um, Barcelona last season. They managed to get that point at the new Camp to, to squeeze through against in over Inter so I think in terms of the group it's not a total disaster in terms of the immediate future as the rest of the season or building into next summer I think Spurs are going to have to change their philosophy a little bit because when you've got such an icon like Harry Kane who has committed himself uh, to 2024 I believe that they, they, they will have to rebuild quickly because you're, you're not going to be able to keep somebody uh, of Harry Kane's calibre happy for two seasons, three seasons of rebuilding because rightly or wrongly he has tied himself into this long-term deal but I think it's unsustainable to expect him to carry on delivering 30 goals a season and expect small pieces or young players around him to sort of regenerate this side so I think Levy is going to need to step up. I mean he's shown signs of that with uh, Ndombele and the Celso hopefully will be converted into a permanent deal so I think there are signs that Spurs will need to really sort of spend big in the in the immediate future because, as Tony said, the likes of Alderweireld, Eriksson will be will be off. So, I think provided they sort of scrap their way through to the last sixteen, it's likely they'll get top four. Then they spend again. I think they can quickly turn this round, but it is going to be a little bit of wear and tear in the in the immediate future. Just before we move on, Ndombélé was probably the. Uh the bright spark last night wasn't he very very good I thought yeah he's looked very good every time I've seen him um, so you know that that's a real positive for Tottenham and but the point is he's going to be he, he, obviously he looks as if he's going to be a a fairly dominant player in the you know in the Premier League and in and in Europe but this is the problem for um, for Pochettino you think well you've got Deli Ali there who's going to you know play alongside him, it sounds like a dream combination, and yet Deli Ali's plateaued really, but in fact more than plateaued, he's gone up, he's gone over the top, he's 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 worse than he has been. Um and why? You know, why why are players like that underperforming? And there are there is enough talent at Tottenham. There was there was way there's way more talent at Tottenham than probably outside Liverpool and City. You know, they, 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 they should be a shoo-in for third. And the reality is they're, they're not firing, they're not performing. They don't look tactically uh, aware. They are not, they're not closing people down. They're not pressing like they once did. You know, someone's got to get that straight. And unfortunately, you know, your new sign, and it, it might be a standout and look spectacular, is, is you know, is not going to be able to drag the rest of the established players up if they've lost complete not a fate with the manager. Okay, so that's the uh, that's the weekly Tottenham dissection over. Let's move on because uh, the original point of this week's episode, we were going to kind of take a look at a series of big European clubs that have undertaken big rebuilding projects this summer um, and delving into how well they're all going. Let's talk about Bayern Munich. They're obviously, 
you know, one of the biggest clubs in Europe, undergone a huge amount of change this summer. They uh, they sold players like uh, Ribery, Rafinha, Hummels, James Rodriguez, Arjen Robben retired, of course. Uh, they've bought a lot of younger players like Benjamin Pavard, Lucas Hernandez. And Jack, so far for Bayern, it seems to be going really well. I think they've drawn two Bundesliga matches, undefeated in the Champions League. Yeah, I think it's it's now looking very promising. I think the uh, the very start of the season, everybody was raving about their recruitment, but they were given a rude awakening by um, Dortmund in the Super Cup. They then uh, drew at home, I think, to Hertha. And um, yeah, there's a draw, I think, at Leipzig, which is by, by no means a, a poor result. But in the last month or so, they've really just sort of put the afterburners on and really clicking. You've got pace and directness in Nabry and Komen, I think, is wonderful talent. Uh, you have Perisic as someone to sort of change things off the bench and somebody who is, again, very direct and can deliver into the box. Lewandowski is still in the form of his life. I think perhaps the best all-round number nine in, in Europe. Um, he, Yeah, when, you, when you've got a number nine like him and then you've got the upside of someone like Coutinho, I think that was just a, a, a pump worth taking as far as Bayern were concerned. And uh, I think, yeah, the upside of this side is a Champions League contender. Um, but it could have been also different. I think Kovac certainly was under a lot of pressure back end of last season, start this season. But I think gradually he's sort of freshened up this squad just enough that he's really building a bit more authority inside that dressing room. I mean, they spent massive money on, on people like Lucas Hernandez, but Coutinho was a really eye-catching arrival. Um, he's playing very well. Yeah, I thought he had a you know pretty good game last night. Tony, what do you kind of make of him as a player in his current form and, and how close do you think he can get to the, the very best players in the world if he if he continues like this at Bayern? I think he's a good player. He's a very good player at his best. I don't think he's um I don't think he's in the same category as the sort of the, the, the top echelon of players. But I mean it's still he's still excellent. Um and if the team if the team's built to play to his strengths that makes a big difference. I mean, Klopp never fully fancies him at Anfield because he didn't press. Um, he, he played him out wide too often where you'd think, personally, I thought his best position was in the middle where he had the chance to, to go either way. Um, and I, I, I kind of felt that he could easily be pushed out of games and uh, if you get him back into his own half, put pressure on him, get, get him back into his own half, he was significantly less of effective um Bayern seem to have set up much more to accommodate what he can do and in the in the German league where things are well, tend to be overall a little bit slower and a little less physical you'll uh, you'll be you know he'll be he should be a superstar there um I think he, he can certainly rebuild his reputation I mean he was in the wrong place at Barcelona um again he was in a place where his abilities were kind of subverted to the greater strengths of the team, and he was marginalised a little bit, um, and he never, he never really settled. But I think, I think he can be, he, he can be really good at Bayern. I say, I don't think he'll be, and you know, he, he'll be anywhere near the very best players in the world, but he's certainly um, in that second rank, and he'll have the chance to prove it in Munich. He's one of those players who he needs to feel loved, and I think um, he certainly. Ha- He's got enough options now, um, which I think he he somewhat has when he plays for Brazil, uh, which, I mean, it, it was easy to see how he sort of um, unraveled a little bit at Barcelona because every movement he 
he made was being scrutinised. But I think at Bayern, there, there are certainly um, there's a scenario now where he he can thrive and get back to somewhere near his best. Um, but Bayern have sort of rejuvenated all over the pitch. You think Serler at the back is now he's a monster of a centre back, and now they have that sort of interchangeable back four with Pavar able to play right back and push Kimmich into the middle. Away from home, certainly that looks like a good option against uh, teams at home or against smaller teams. You can sort of move Thiago back in there. I mean, Goretzka is future of like Germ- one of the future stars yeah. of German football as well. So this is a, a team that's done an excellent job in terms of recruitment. And I think they just need that superstar to go alongside Lewandowski and maybe Coutinho could be that guy. I think it, uh, what was very different about them compared to when they played Liverpool and certainly in uh, the Alliance last year was the, the, the movement and pace. Um, you know, they, they looked tired. They looked old last year. They were pedestrian in the passing, whereas they, there was a little bit of little bit of sharpness about them, a little bit of um, you sort of little bit of injection of speed, and that made a big difference. And given the experience of it, you know Lewandowski up front, I mean, he never seems to get old. He just seems to get better. He's fantastic, and um, I, I, I think they've they've you know when you look at their summer. And how they rebuilt compared to what Tottenham did in the summer. You can see you can see where it's boys against men off the pitch as well as on. Okay, time for a quick break. Uh, when we get back, we're going to be talking about Real Madrid, uh, Atletico Madrid, two Spanish clubs who have undergone massive changes this summer. And then we're also going to be talking a little bit about Juventus. So don't go anywhere. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, welcome back to the Indie Football Podcast. Uh, this week we're talking about big summer rebuilding projects at European clubs, and it's probably time that we came on to La Liga. So let's start with Real Madrid, because of all the big super clubs, they probably had the biggest rebuilding project on their hands, and it's not really been going very well for Zinedine Zidane. Um, they drew with Club Bruges in the Champions League last night. Jack, how broken do you think this current Real Madrid team is? I think broken is is quite close to being an accurate reflection of this team. I think it was a team that relied heavily on Cristiano Ronaldo to come up in the in the big moments, which he obviously can do and, and does do regularly. But I think that team ticked along and was able to raise it when the standard jumped right up in terms of Champions League and big games in La Liga because of their midfield. And with Modric and Kroos sort of getting getting along the way towards that sort of 
yeah towards the edge of that cliff I think they've they've been unable to sort of wrestle back control of games and I think that has been a major problem for this team the talent's still there in the final third certainly you could see another manager with a bit more tactical now than Zidane seems to have able to find a right blend there but in terms of yeah that ability to control games I think it's it's gone and I don't think Zidane is the right guy to sort of bring that back right now I think they, they need to invest heavily in that the middle of the pitch was his decision to go back to Real Madrid, was that a bad career move, Tony? Yeah, probably was. Um, mind you, he could have gone to Man United <laughs> and that would have been an even worse one. Now, the thing about Zidane is um, when he first took over the job, he took over from Rafa Benitez and Benitez was brought in by Perez and wasn't allowed to pick the team he wanted to pick. You know, everyone knew the side he should have been playing and yet, you know, what, what Perez wanted was essentially an attacking force that would be as seductive as Barcelona. And it was never going to happen. And the thing is, when, when Benitez got sacked, Zidane took over and he had the moral authority to pick the team everyone knew should be picked. So it was quite interesting talking to, to Rafa about that afterwards. Because, you know, normally managers slaughter the people who take over from them. And, you know, I kind of expect him to go, Zidane, you know, yeah, plotting against me. But he was like, no, no, no. He goes, you know, he's great. He's, um, he's great. And, you know, and, and he could see clearly what the team needed. And he had the power to do it because of his status. He's brilliant, you know. And um, so he was, he was quite happy for him. Um, then he, you know, threw the, the, the truth bomb at the end and says, you know, he's not great with tactics. But he knows when he sees, you know, he sees what, what should be done. So... Basically, that that group of players, that squad, and those tactics that everyone knew, and I'm, you know, I'm not trying to give Rafa credit for creating that because basically anyone could see what that team needed. So he took that forward and and was enormously successful. You know, and behind Cristiano, who um, was, you know, a talisman for them, he's gone back and to rebuild the team. Now, the, the, you know. That that's going to be a real issue for him because it's not his strength. He's got he's got the authority in the dressing room and in the boardroom, but he doesn't have that knack of organising teams, of seeing players, picking them, and more to the point, finding players who can fit into the framework of a team and flourish and and you know sort of make the sum. Uh, make the individual, you know, sort of uh, uh, make make the sum better than the, the, the parts. Uh, that's easy for me to say, isn't it? Uh, you know, the, I, I can't even I can't even get a cliche out. <laughs> if if he was to walk away now or in a month's time or before the end of the season, would there be a massive queue of clubs ready and kind of willing to appoint him? Do you think? Well, I don't think so. I mean, I think uh, I mean clearly he's the sort of He's a glamour appointment yeah. in many ways. And I think uh, what's happened at Real this season has proved that really. And uh, Ed Woodward might be daft enough, but, you know, I mean, I can't see anyone else. I can't see any serious big club appointing Zidane. And um, I think that the best thing he could do is go, you know, become an ambassador for Real Madrid and, you know, just um, because he is, he's, he's, he's one of the great superstars of the game and uh, and one of those players who have kind of forgotten how good he was. It's interesting because uh, I think it was the Frank Lampard pod we did. We spoke about kind of, you know, how uh, trendy it is to have kind of managers come into the club with a ready-made philosophy and completely change everything. 
we all watch a lot of football, but I, I still don't really know how you would describe Zidane's tactical style or, or, or what it is or if he's really got one, aside from just picking the right players. Yeah, I think that's, that's part of the issue. There doesn't seem to be a, um, a specific plan as such. I think he tries to get as many of the, the big characters, the big egos into that lineup as possible, but he's quickly discovering that a lot of them don't deserve or don't belong in that 11. I think you saw Marcelo at the end of last season, abysmal form, no matter what the best FIFA awards say about him being in that, that 11. Uh, you, you just look at that team and it, it just... It just needs to be um, freshened up a little bit. I think you look at someone like Courtois, who's now second season at, at Madrid and is totally drained of com- all confidence, in, in my opinion. I think uh, it, it, it's a team which will need to sort of uh, accept its fate as such. I think they are they are beneath the, the best three, four sides in Europe right now. And I think they need to sort of um, limit those expectations and, they just need to look across the other side of Madrid and the way that Atleti have rec- recruited, I think, has been a shining example of how to do it. And um, they were certainly up against it in the summer, but uh, they've hit on almost everybody. They've they've had a little bit of patience with the ones they, the players they did have. You look at Thomas Partey's really, really come on in that midfield. So there's obviously unbelievable talent in that Madrid side. Just because they're not performing right now, it doesn't mean that some of them might might not in three, four months. So I think they just need to accept who they are at the moment, and that is a fringe contender. I mean, La Liga is such an inconsistent league at the moment. They could still win La Liga this year. But I think in the Champions League, anything around the quarterfinal stage, I think that, that would be pretty much what you'd expect from Real Madrid right now. Let's, um, let's move on to Atletico because, Rafa, I know you've been a big kind of fan of their recruitment policy yeah. this summer and how they're kind of changing things up both on and off the field? Yeah, I think in terms of what they've got at their disposal is quite similar to Tottenham. So I think they're two similar clubs in terms of budget, in terms of they can attract almost the highest calibre of player as well because of their situation and in terms of a manager as well, someone like Simeone, very inspirational. But they they were right up against it in the summer, but they hit on Trippier, they hit on uh, Lodi at left back. That's been the key to sort of that change of pace they've always got that ability to sort of be stubborn dig in in the midfield uh thomas party joining Saul in there coke they, they run for days so they're always going to be a tough out in the champions league knockout games but i think with um a bit of magic in felix plus the whip now from the fullbacks i think when they're good they're going to be really really good i think they got outplayed by juventus for large parts but when they did get on top side as good as juventus they they were overwhelmed a little bit. So I think this is a team that has like the highest ceiling pretty much of almost all the teams um, out of Spain this year. Tony, um, Simeone's been, been at the club close to a decade now. Does he prove that there's still a place at the top of the modern game for that kind of loyalty? Do you think Pochettino's looking to him as, as somebody who he wants to kind of emulate? Well, that's exactly the contrast I was, um, was going to make. But the one thing Simeone's done is he's managed to keep his players focused. He's managed to get them to buy into what he wants to do. And they've they've regularly turned over the, 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 the squads. I mean, they've sold what appears to be the best players at the right time. They've made the profit and they've brought other people in. And, you know, so we again, we've discussed this a number of times. You get to a point where people are in the dressing room, they've heard the manager's shtick so often 
they become immune to it. So we either change the players or you change the manager. And uh, uh, Atleti have been very clever in how they've changed the players. They've not made drastic moves generally. They've just they've just recycled and they've brought, you know they've brought great people. And you know Griezmann goes this year, and everyone thinks, oh, you know they've lost one of the um, you know the, the talisman, the you know the the superstar, and yet they come back looking as strong. You know it's it's really cleverly done, and it's something that. Pochettino hasn't been able to do and the, perhaps the blame isn't completely with him it's the way Daniel Levy operates it's the way they've built the new stadium so there's no lot of money and there hasn't been enough turnover in the squad to freshen it up and the other thing about freshening the squad up you bring a new player or two in all the other players look over the shoulders and think Oof, you know, it, you know uh, my place could be in threat and they'll, they'll work harder. You see the way. You see the way that team works and runs. And it's it's mind-boggling. It's uh, it's uh, the, the early Pochettino teams at Tottenham were uh, sort of were lords for the press. And well, I mean, it, I was going to say, uh, Atleti are like them on speed. <laughs> except I'd give an implication that I didn't mean <laughs> to give there. No, I, there was no suggestion that anyone that there has been anywhere near drugs. <laughs> Um, you know, so no, but they, they are the effort they put in. You know, they 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 are just they're, they're an embodiment of the manager. Speaking of big kind of um, squad refreshes, last team that we're going to uh, speak about for two three minutes is Juventus um, because they brought in a lot of new players and their strength and depth. I think of all of the big kind of European super clubs, their strength and depth at the minute is is the most impressive. That midfield is is packed. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I agree. I think that might be the deepest squad in, in the Champions League. I think right up there with maybe City. I think this is a team that has absorbed an injury to Chiellini, perhaps their best defender, slotted in Delit, who a little bit of a shaky start, but last night looked really good against Bayer Leverkusen. He's, he's able to sort of bypass the midfield with his passing. You had players out like Douglas Costa. Uh, you've, you've also got the likes of injured, I mean. And then you've got Aaron Ramsey. You've got Adrian Rabiot. Uh, and Sarri's actually changing his tried and tested 4 3 3, which yeah. we never ever thought he would change. He's changing that to accommodate Ramsey. Absolutely, yeah. And you've got uh, Dybala also at the moment, it's just a backup. The way he's sort of, Sarri sort of embraced the options that are just at his disposal last year, very stubborn 4 3 3 until, we, <laughs> until death basically at Chelsea. Now he's sort of changing, um, changing it around the diamond, um, tucking Bernadeschi behind um, Cristiano and Iguain. I mean, he's got a tune out of Iguain, which is a minor miracle in itself. So I think this is a team that will we'll think, look, we've got to win the Champions League at some point. We've lost in two big finals. We have maybe the greatest match winner of, of the last decade or two. It's now or never, really. And the, the way they can sort of chop and change the formation, the, the ability to sort of sit in deep, I think it's um, everything's there for Juventus, all at their disposal to go all the way this year. They've made a close to perfect start. I suppose the only real down, downside, like you said, is the um, is the form of Delict. Um, he's been a little bit shaky. He was especially poor against Napoli when they won four three. But Tony, do you think the amount of money that they've invested in him and uh, you know just, just an incredible amount of money for a twenty year old? Do you think that essentially means he's going to be undroppable? Really? Well, I wouldn't say undroppable, but I mean, clearly he's going to play a lot of games. He's got a lot of learning to do, and Juventus is as good a place to learn as anywhere. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of experienced defenders there. There's a lot of uh, 
they're going to be dominant in Serie A. So you know you'll get you'll get weeks where he can you know have relatively quiet days as he develops. So I you know I am um, I I think he's going to be a real success there because he's got huge talent. I, I was I I went and saw them in the last home game of last season or. Was the last was it the last home game? It was the the day they got the title um, against Atalanta, and they were they looked really out of sorts. They looked a team that w- it was tired. It looked you know it really needed a, a, a change there. There was a lot of finger pointing on going on. Uh, Ronaldo, it was mm. a terrible man for that anyway. Was you know obviously his body language was awful, but they've looked very different obviously because they brought a lot of good players in. And a, a manager who's come come up with a, a different sort of freshness to it, and it, it's interesting that Savvy's changed his system. I mean, I wonder how much that was to do with the fact that you know he's got Ronaldo there, and you can't really play four three three with Cristiano Ronaldo at this stage of his career in the team. I don't think you know you've got to you've got to build your team to suit his best qualities. But I mean. It'll work. He's certainly got a, a while left in him, and um, I think I think they've got a ch- a, as good a chance as anyone to go a long way in the competition. And I think, yeah, them and City have got to be the favourites. Okay, I think that's that's pretty much us wrapped up. Thanks, thanks, gents. Um, we've got hero and villain left to do. Tony, do you wanna do you wanna give us a hero? Oh, I don't I don't really do heroes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I hadn't thought about it. I'd, I'd only uh, thought of the villain. Oh, go on, give me uh, a and, and the villain is um, uh, Claudio Latito, the um, the owner of Lazio, and he's on the Serie A board, who waded into the controversy, the racism controversy over Juan, Juan Jesus this week by saying, oh, you know, it's a, you know, when I was young and I go to game, like, People play uh, booed people who weren't black just because, well, you know, because they were on the opposition side and trivialised the whole racism issue in Italy. And you know what? We're getting these things happening on a week-to-week basis. We've seen the incidents at Charlton over here. It's building, it's building. Someone in the football authorities has got to stop it. And, you know, Roma have made a stand in, in one of the worst countries in Europe to, to, to do it. And it's been undermined already, you know, uh, the the message to all football authorities is no. Let's get this out of the game. We should um we should plug both your piece on the um Roma's response to that that racist abuse, which was up over the week, the start of the week, I think it was. Yeah, Monday. Yes, uh, definitely check that out. And also Johnny Lou, his one of his most recent columns. Yeah, it was excellent. Yeah, was uh, was on uh, Pep Guardiola and the Bernardo Silva kind of uh, issue. Um, Rafa, have you got a hero after that? I have a hero. Uh, on a bit of a lighter note, you have uh, Dennis at Club Bruges uh, scored a double against Real Madrid last night at the Bernabeu. A couple of things to note about that celebration was was pretty uh, pretty funny. He mimicked Ronaldo <laughs> at the Bernabeu, so yeah. the the C celebration. So that was quite funny, and he also promised his teammates he would get a tattoo. I think um, <laughs> if he scored at the Bernabeu, and so now he's got to get two. So yeah, Dennis, um, Nigerian striker at Bruges. Um, He's had a very uh, good week, I think. Good stuff. Okay, thanks, gents. Uh, sadly, that's all we've got time for this week, but be sure to follow Indie Football on social media to keep up to date with everything going on. Uh, if you're a new listener, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is you listen. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Mom 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.